politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to focus on what matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. No distractions whatsoever. Probably your only one-stop shop of no distraction. Conservative independent thought here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Thursday, January 4th. And every day we get another distraction. Every day, another wasted opportunity to focus on what matters. So today, it's the Jeffrey Epstein list being released, which, as many of you know, it's all a limited hangout. We're not going to find out the truth from that anyway. Um, But there is so much that is in our power. If you add up the totality of Republican control of politics in various parts of the country, you add up the totality of GOP media influence and Uh, voters who are influenced by them and agree with them. And there is a lot we can do. And my goal today, and, and a good part of this beginning of the year, as red state legislatures remain in session, is how do we match the intensity of blue state America in red state America for our purposes? Not just, oh, the left did this, and then we act like the left, but, you know, more of a decaffeinated version of it. No. How about you mimic the left's intensity in pursuit of their decrepit, corrupt, decadent, licentious, degenerative uh, outcomes and steer it towards our self-professed, you know, biblical worldview and constitutional values? It's that simple. It's that simple. But uh, we don't don't have much of a focus. So we're going to have... Andy Roth of the State Freedom Caucus Network coming up, uh, giving us a little bit of an overview for the year ahead in state legislatures and and what we could be doing, what we could be focused on. I just want to clear the decks before we get into the red state versus blue state news, Um, just some presidential stuff, other things. First of all, you know, Speaker Mike Johnson held this border meeting with 60 members of Congress at Eagle Pass, and this is just emblematic of Republican politics. As he was talking, illegal aliens were crossing right behind him. And it's just uh, a symbol for GOP ineffectiveness of how even when they're present, they're not really present. Uh, They don't wield their influence. And that's what it is. So we're looking for outcomes. And I just want to give a little bit of an update of presidential politics. We'll do a little bit every day, not so much. Uh, the other night, Jesse Waters, who now has the primetime show on Fox, replacing Tucker, he brought on a psychic. I'm not kidding you. A psychic and asked her to predict 2024. And, you know, it's try to say that Trump is going to win. And then she reaches into her stack of 50 cards and pulls out a grim reaper. <laughs> it just you can't make this stuff up. You 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 bring on such disgusting substance and then you can't even get your desired result. So that's what that. Um you got Christy Nome now attacking Nikki Haley and saying that it would be terrible for Trump to pick Nikki while by the way uh Nome is campaigning with Trump a rare appearance of Trump in Iowa uh, this weekend. Um Folks, I, I want to make an important point here. Obviously, it's quite transparent. Nikki, I, I mean, 
I, I was going to say Nikki Nome. <laughs> They're literally two peas in a pod. You'd be hard-pressed to find a policy difference between the two of them, and their record shows that. Uh, for them to, from the time um, you know, Nikki was governor of South Carolina and from the time that Nome was congressman in, uh, you know, from South Dakota. But obviously she wants Trump to pick her. And, and that's what this is all about. And, you know, a lot of people are concerned that Trump might pick Nikki. And it's a legitimate concern because they clearly were looking into it, floating it as a trial balloon and refused to categorically uh, get off of it. Now, I would say if I'm a betting man, I would say Nikki personally is probably unlikely to be picked, but it's broadly what it represents, that Trump could totally pick someone of that ilk, of that caliber, and he knows his base won't rebel against him, and he can totally get away with it. And there will be pressure because you know as the convictions mount— and the Republicans want to throw him overboard, he's going to need to excite the establishment, and that's something he's definitely going to do. So you might not get Nikki Haley, but you will get someone like a Christy Nome. Watch out for that. And and, and somehow we're not bothered by the fact that, uh, you know, she had some ex- extracurricular activities cheating on her husband as she was governor, and probably before as well. Uh, conservative media totally covered that up, but it's a true story, and I, I don't get why suddenly we're just okay with that. You know, I, I don't, I, I never got that memo, but that that's what it means. And and this is kind of the broader thing that, like I told you, Steve Dace and I had this discussion over ten years ago when we saw the left going so far to the left and becoming so radical. Well, on the one hand, is it a good thing that it will make it easier to? make the case to the public and win general elections and draw sharp contrast with swing voters? Or will it drag the Republicans to the left? But because the official capital L left is so demonic, Republicans and conservatives will easily be able to draw a distinction, but still be so far to the left, but still maintain distance. So it's like, well, you know, yeah, this is basically the thing now. The left either is all gay or transgender, um, or they have ugly, you know, because there's this new trend to mainstream obesity among women. But we have pretty women that we commit adultery or we have these calendars and whatever. I'm not going to get into that, but you get what I'm saying with, 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 with some of the values. When in fact, what we should be doing is looking at the blue states and being, oh my gosh, these guys are nuts. How do we make South Dakota a complete opposite. And in fact, no, you know, South Dakota is is not. And most red states are not. DeSantis wrote in the Des Moines Register, under my presidency, the influence of big corporations on our immigration system will end. Big companies spend millions lobbying for open borders to get cheap labor. They will have no influence in my administration. And you see literally, literally the way he's operated with donors, the way he's operated with his cabinet picks, the way he's operated by taking on Disney. You could believe that. Trump brought these people in. I mean, Ken Cuccinelli, who is deputy DHS secretary, and the only reason why the Trump border invasion abated, remember, it was very bad. I reported on it for 18 months straight in 2018 into 2019. It was because of Ken and Ken supporting DeSantis but Ken will tell you, and he said it on the show before, 
Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. So everyone knows that he was horrible on spending and growth of government. But he actually wielded influence over visas. And any initiative Ken wanted to do was squelched by him. He was the biggest corporatist. And uh, again, the, the contrast couldn't be clearer. The contrast couldn't be clearer. But see, what's happening in conservative media is you have a bunch of people that either didn't know where the bathroom was in the anti-establishment movement until a few years ago. They themselves were on board with it. I have a lot of people, I, I know people that criticized me for going after McConnell back in the day. But now they're like, if you don't support Trump, you're, you're Mitch McConnell. When, mind you, Trump himself is literally the deciding factor as to why Mitch McConnell still has a seat. But we won't talk about that like every other rhino. Um, but it, it's so funny. Like I, I, I am happy in my skin in what I've accomplished and fought for being anti-establishment before it was cool, but actually in, in an effective way that had some sort of a direction. So I don't need to be part of this, ooh, like the middle school girls, who's the cool one? Ooh, they all say this is what you need to do to be cool. There's nothing anti-establishment about these people. They go to where the Fed is, where the power structure is. Back then, the, the power structure of the party was Mitch McConnell. So I was the only one laying down ordinance on it and speaking the truth. And these guys wouldn't do it. So now Trump is where the power structure is. That's where they gravitate. It's all groupiness. And one more thing on presidential politics before we get to the main course. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'm seeing a lot of noise about Vivek in the sense that he, the braveness, how brave and articulate he is and slapping down the Washington Post reporters. And mind you, none of them plan on voting for him. They're voting for Trump. I mean, the guy is stuck at like 6%. So let me just address this head on because Vivek doesn't matter. But what the, the conservative media is doing with him does matter in the following sense. You see, I, I've said this many times. We have not lacked talkers for two generations. Talk show hosts, people making bold, provocative statements in defense of what you know, we broadly believe in. Calling out PC. In fact, there's nothing new. That, 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 there's nothing nuanced or brave. That's kind of the new fad. Okay? I mean, man, I've never seen anything like Vivek. I don't know. I think I'm more hardcore than Vivek. <laughs> what about me? But the, but the thing is, I am just a talk show host. I never even got elected to a state legislature. What we don't have is someone like DeSantis. We don't have a close second anywhere that has that degree of principle, that degree of policy smartness, that degree of personnel picks, that degree of policy implementation, seeing it through, and then winning on the issue, and then also being able to get reelected by 20 points and turning Florida into a swing state. Oh, and then having the ability to raise some degree of money and, you know, engage in politics. You know, if I had to say, what would you rather have? What do you like better? Ron DeSantis' rhetoric or yours truly? Well, I think all of you who would say, well, Daniel, you sound more hardcore. I want you. But in all honesty, could I ever do what he did? Could someone do what DeSantis did and be even more hardcore? Maybe, but we don't have proof of concept yet.
That has not happened. That's what we're lacking. It's like, yeah, when you're not trying to win an election and you're trying to gun for conservative Twitter and get 6%, but 6% is a lot in a national election, and you're trying to build a brand, you know, you already have your filthy rich from promoting big pharma defective products, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't take anything out of you to slap down the media. Like, it doesn't cost anything. It's when you're trying to actually win, take on Trump, and then take on the left in a way that you're going to win on the issues and win the election, that's a lot harder, and you have to finesse that more. But yeah, I mean, if you want to run on everything, I mean, look, I believe in a lot of things that probably wouldn't win me an election, but I have no problem saying it, and it will win you a very devoted following if that's what you're trying to do. But what does that do for us? And where this comes full circle is, you know, Vivek was pimping masking and the vaccines. And by the way, his companies were trying to make biomedical surveillance on par with that, with what's in China. He was doing that as a nobody, as a private citizen who had nothing to lose longer than DeSantis as governor of the third largest state with the most seniors at a time when the public was very much brainwashed, he had already stopped promoting the vaccines in the state and was long anti-mask. You know, as an implementer, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, someone like me, I'm always going to be way out ahead earlier and more hardcore earlier on in an issue than even the best elected official because I can. <laughs> it doesn't cost me anything. I don't have to appeal to a, a, a broad electorate, okay? Yet, when, when he actually had a voice before trying to run for president, he wasn't even elected, didn't have to do anything. He advised Mike DeWine, who, by the way, was endorsed by Trump, to do bad things on COVID. Promoted biomedical security state, promoted masking, and promoted the shots up until when Steve Dace got him to get off of it when he was running for president just, you know, last year. DeSantis already, in November 2021, they stopped all promotion at the Department of Health, and he would have done it a few months earlier. He, 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 it took him a while to get in Latipo because the rhinos in the state legislature were given problems, actually. And now Latipo's just off to the races. He called the vaccine um, the antichrist of products. And again, he's not saying that as a talk show host. He's saying that as the health director of a state with a lot of seniors in it where you could, oh, you're killing seniors. You know what I'm saying? Like That's, everyone is like, yeah, I'll beat the guy up when I meet him. And then you get into the alley. Oh, whoops. And then, so, so, so we know that that's what we're looking for. That's what we need, right? And then a guy comes along from the comfort of his home. Yeah, I'll beat the guy up. Oh my gosh, is that brave? We've never seen anything like it. <laughs> and and it's, again, it's such a joke because then why not vote for him? But they're not. They're voting for Trump. It's all, it's all fraud. But anyway, back to the main point. I, w- I want to make this case as we head towards the red state legislative sessions. A lot of people think that, you know, you have a trend in America. Oh my gosh, this is coming one day. This is going to happen. Or America is going to become like Europe. But the interesting thing about America is it's big and diverse enough. 
and we do have Madison's design still somewhat in place of, you know, relatively strong state governments relative to, you know, the strength of local governments in other countries. And it's not uniform. Like, on the one hand, we have certain states that are already probably worse than Europe. So what we have is a blue state insanity as an early warning system. Okay, we, 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 have, we, we have warnings. And rather than, haha, own the libs on it, we need to be like, holy smokes, we need to go into the red states and fight with as much intensity, not only to certainly prevent that stuff from ever happening there, but to obviously push back the other way and affirmatively and categorically make the red state downright conservative in culture and policy and use the machinery of government to do exactly what the left does. And I, I just want to say, you, you look at the things the left is doing in blue states, and they're playing for keeps. In my state of Maryland, there's one county that's trying to create a seat on their school board that the, that is an illegal alien seat. You have to be an illegal alien to get that seat. Um, and they're arguing that the 14th Amendment gives them the right to do that. These guys come, they see, they conquer, they believe, they do. I mean, they go big. Make no mistake about it. The blue states are committing an anti-white genocide. I will say it straight out. I've said it for a long time. They're obviously replacing us. They're, they're, they're open about it. They're open about it. They're sentencing our people to years in prison, letting out violent criminals all around racial justice. I have a column out yesterday about this Peter Cahill, the uh, the judge in the Chauvin George Floyd case um, who sentenced him to 22 years and he almost got killed in prison. He just let out this violent guy who killed a white woman and he called it racial justice. These guys are dead serious. Let me, let me give you just as an introduction to, to red state freedom caucuses and what we need to do, what we need to strive for. It's okay to focus on the left. If it motivates you to fight for your causes in your areas, which is much, with as much gusto, as much indefatigable energy and commitment and focus as the left does in theirs. But not just to be like, oh, but the left, and then we kind of mimic them, but a few tranches away. Or just, in general, get distracted. There's been a lot of talk about blue states trying to take Trump off the ballot. And I noticed there's a pattern that's very profound. And I, I think you guys are going to appreciate this observation. When you think of a quintessential blue state, you think of a state where Democrats have 100 years of power or you know, 30, 50 years of power. And they have such inveterate machinery that you can't dislodge them. Right? It's impossible for them to lose. It's literally like Kim Jong-un in North Dakota. And in, I said North Dakota, North Korea. That's how much control they have. So you think of California. You think of Hawaii. You think of Massachusetts, of Maryland, New York. Okay? But I want to give you a list of four states that are interesting to look at. Colorado, Maine, Michigan, and Minnesota. These are states that range from, in the case of Colorado, historically a red state, then turn purple, then blue, then deep blue, or these other states that were always shared power. And in fact, like Michigan and Minnesota 
where Republicans always, not always, but almost always controlled one or both chambers of the legislature. Maine, it was kind of like 50-50 recent you know, decades. So these are not like, you know, these are more in the middle. But the minute they get the trifecta, okay, Colorado, that was a while ago they got it ready, but Maine, Michigan, and Minnesota, you know, because we had such an amazing election in 2022, remember all the polls? Well, in fact, the Democrats picked up trifectas in Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, maybe some others, but those come to mind. And so you look at Colorado and Maine, they go big or go home. They, They control the state, kick Trump off the ballot. Minnesota, we talked about that last year. It was their first session with control of both branches. It was just, it was the reverse Florida. And then Michigan, Michigan too. So in Michigan, they passed this bill, HB 4474, that goes and it's called anti-intimidation. So if you are, if you don't call someone by their pronouns, you could get roped into this. So basically, there was this guy in Massachusetts I know from a lawyer friend of mine who was asked to take the case. He's working with other lawyers. A guy from Massachusetts, he's kind of like, you know, maybe a little bit on the spectrum, kind of crazy, but he's harmless. He wrote a bunch of emails to lawmakers in Michigan, like saying, hey, you're a bunch of pedophiles, you're disgusting, whatever. I mean, stuff that every lawmaker on both sides gets every day and has gotten for years. There were no death threats. No death threats. That guy was arrested and extradited. Okay, because obviously Massachusetts will cooperate. You have to realize they could their arm will reach you. Their arm, they are now passing laws. And this is not the only example that could reach you in the red state. Forget it, if you're in a blue state, you're done. We need red states, big action items. Big action items to allow a defendant to file an emergency appeal, not in the court system, but to the state attorney general to block extradition, to issue a ruling, potentially, that if they agree with the defendant, that the law that the blue state is using to request extradition from the red state police force to you know go and extradite them is unconstitutional, and then that would have the effect of prohibiting state police from from uh, cooperating. This is something that is very very achievable, by the way, very very achievable, and it's something we really really need to do. Very very achievable. You know, to to thwart the feds is a whole nother level, but another blue state they cannot come in your state unless you affirmatively cooperate. And we have to lay that that marker down with the trend of blue states passing these laws, basically persecuting political opponents, violating every part of the Bill of Rights. We need this sanctuary protection. But I, I wanted to broaden this a little bit. I had a meeting recently with my state team directors, my ConAction teams. If you want to join one, ConAction.network. And one of our leaders in Wyoming, I'm not going to mention who the individual is, has a little blog. Okay, it's it's I mean it's nothing. It's something you could create in your, you know, if even if you're not tech savvy. And it it totally dogs the legislature and local affairs and exposes 
the rhinos. And the Speaker of the House went to one of the prominent conservatives in the state and demanded to know who that person is. And I bring that up to, to empower you, especially in these small red states, if we would only focus on exposing them rather than blue state liberals where there's nothing we can do about, but learn from them and their tactics what we need to do to make red states red, you could change the country. It's unbelievable, and we see that. Look, sometimes the progress is slow, but in Wyoming, we're making a lot of progress. It used to be, you know, you barely have any Democrats, but almost every Republican is a Democrat, and they just run the state into the ground, and no one cared. They vote Republican and forget about it. And now we're starting to to draw attention to this. It is so, so important. Another thing I ask of you guys, and I'm not another thing, it's really connected. So local media, see, if you're just another person opining on the oh, Hunter Biden scandal, you're not going to contribute anything more. But if you're in a red state and you start putting out information on well, let me back this up. Blue states have what I call a political kill zone perimeter where they say we have full control here. The, we know the people will agree with us if we do something. So we will make it a kill zone that nothing that is not Marxist could raise its head and certainly anything conservative will get killed. And we're going to even go after our political opponents. Okay, so whatever the policy, energy, Crime, illegal immigration, culture, whatever it is, it's peddled to the metal communist. We need that in reverse. Every county and state executive, legislative branch decision policy should reflect our values. And if it doesn't, it should be immediately vetted out and immediately exposed. And who's behind it? I cannot overstate the importance of this. There's this article here in... um. In a, it's uh, where is this Georgia Trust for Local News launches? There's basically a not-profit leftist organization that's trying to set up local news initiatives in South and Central Georgia, red states. Mine, by, by the way, the media. Just so you know, you go to states like Idaho, the media is worse than California. I mean, the media is awful. We need to start creating in red state local media. It doesn't have to be that sophisticated. When you focus like a laser beam with specificity on very specific issues and happenings, you'd be shocked. I mean, this person I'm describing to you in Wyoming, I don't know, they might have 50 followers on Twitter. I mean, there's not much there. You'd be shocked at the difference you can make. This speaker wanted to know who the person was. This is what we need to do. It is so within our power. And you can imagine if you had all the heavy hitters, whether they're the moneyed organizations on the right or the big name talkers, the top 20 on iTunes, if they would lend their voice to this initiative. I mean, I shudder to think the, the sort of country we could have. I shudder because it's so painful to think what we're leaving on the table. It's pathetic. It really, really is pathetic. But I want to get to our special guest who shares this mission and is the one organization with some sort of structure that I could see on the horizon that's actually effectively doing this. And I want our, our guys to see how we could help them. 
So by now, you know my national anthem. You know my obsession. And it's this. It's that we're entering into 2024 when all my colleagues are focused on just elect Mr. Trump in November. And then somehow, A, they're somehow certain that, you know, the election results of the last five elections aren't going to continue and you'll win it. B, that even if you do, that's going to do anything and you'll be different than last time. And C, that we could afford to wait on these things like the culture, like our economic freedom, choice in products, the border, the crime, all of this stuff that we could wait another year. When right now, right now, we have, we're going to have over 20 red states with strong majorities, Republican governors, that whatever you're worried about, the political targeting, this, that, 95% of it you can interpose against, either whether it's a federal thing you can interpose against, a blue state thing like we talk about with extradition for political crimes that 100% you could block, and just in general, ensuring that the culture of your state, the policies that flow from their respective departments of health, departments of education, work in concert with the values of the majority of the people in those states. It is so achievable. And I just want to, before we bring on Andy, I forgot to mention, what's very apropos for this is Hamilton and Federalist 28, which is pretty similar to Madison and Federalist 46, where obviously he was a you know supporter of a robust national government, but nonetheless he said, you know, when people are concerned about well, what happens if you have an overbearing federal government like we have today that just screws over the country, violates rights, pushes anarchy and tyranny at the same time, it may safely be received as an axiom in our political system that the state governments will, in all possible contingencies, afford complete security against invasions of the public liberty by the national authority. Projects of usurpation cannot be masked under pretenses so likely to escape the penetration of select bodies of men as of the people at large. The legislatures will have better means of information. They can discover the danger at a distance. Remember, we talked about that, how the blue state policies are, are an early warning system, right? So discover the danger at a distance and possessing all the organs of civil power which they do internally in the state, and the confidence of the people, they can at once adopt a regular plan of opposition in which they can combine all the resources of the community, they can readily communicate with each other in the different states, and unite their common forces for the protection of their common liberty. And again, imagine if we put our focus on electing the right people to legislatures, more people like DeSantis, where I currently don't see anyone on the horizon anywhere close to that in a red state, but we should have that. And you do it in that state, and then you work together. You have the synergistic effect of multiple states. You could apply this to deportation, state-based pushback against the invasion. You could apply it to the tranny policies. You could try to the, apply it to the EPA, EV, uh, you know, Green New Deal policies. In fact, all they need to do is just not accept the money and treat it like Medicaid expansion. But they're doing none of this. But it doesn't have to be this way. And there's one organization that's ensuring that that we could actually maximize and actualize uh, the dream of Federalist 28 during the nightmare of the current federal usurpation we're living under. And that's the State Freedom Caucus Network. We have uh, we've had him on before, the president, Andy Roth, who has really worked for a generation in trying to elect conservatives at a federal level. And now he's doing it at a state level. You can follow him at Andy Roth on Twitter 
Go to statefreedomcaucus.org, and he's here in the flesh. Hey, Andy, Happy New Year, and welcome back. Daniel, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because 2024 is going to be an absolutely big year, and it's all going to be at the state level. And so this is going to be really fun to talk about. So that, that's that's why I'm having you on, because I know with you, it's not just going to be Twitter memes. You know, you're not so good at Twitter. It's not your thing, <laughs> you know, and you're good at, at results and, and, and actually getting stuff done. And I see a lot of news. Could you kind of just give us an overview around the map? What are some positive trends or innovations within your organization that you think are going to help towards this goal of making red states red again? Yeah, so... the. the uh, I'll kind of uh, give you some bad news first. Like the budgets that pass in these states are uh, atrocious, and people don't know that. Like, you know, in um, South or in South Dakota, they grew the budget by twenty-seven percent. In Wyoming, fifteen percent. Um, you know, South Carolina, twenty-one, thirteen percent. Um, Louisiana, twelve percent. On and on. That's on. Thinkable at the federal level, like you would get massive Republican opposition to a 12% increase in the budget, uh, even the squishy Republicans in Congress. And, and, so and by the way, Andy, Republicans- I'm sorry to cut you off, but paint a picture of that's not just money, like dollars. Doesn't that ultimately mean you're growing in plain English the education and healthcare and similar cartels that distort the culture of red states and infiltrate them with all sorts of bad policies, ideas, and culture, in addition to, you know, increasing the reach and scope of government and spending. That's exactly, that's exactly right. You mentioned it before, like uh, EV subsidies, um, you know, uh, woke policies at the universities, the higher education uh, has been treated like a sacred cow where you rubber stamp their funding every year. And that's going to end this year. Um, there's there's going to be such a huge fight on the budget because people have finally woken up to the fact that things have gone off the rails significantly. And the reason why this has been a problem, especially in the red states, is because Republicans have locked arms with Democrats to do this stuff. And they've done it because they've been operating largely in the dark. People don't necessarily know who their state rep is or their state senator. Whenever they turn on the TV, they're focused on Fox News or OAN or whatever's happening in the swamp in D.C. They don't know what's happening in their state capitals. And that's what we're trying to change. And that's what we're trying to expose. So I think that's a really important point because even myself, I haven't – because budgets are very wonky. We focus a lot on the federal budget, and then the states were like, okay, there's this bill on the trainee surgeries. There's this bill on you know immigration enforcement. So we think red states are doing good things, and you know relative to the blue states, they're better. Some of them might pass. A lot of them are just noise, and unfortunately, they're just introduced, and they don't get across the finish line. But then at the end of the session or at some point in the session, as you mentioned – they write a budget bill. And the same way at a federal level, we always say, you know, Republicans might have a nice like HR2, immigration enforcement, this and that, but it's the budget that matters because that's what ultimately gets done and it's horrible. So this is happening in these states. So what sort of, so so you're saying that a big part of your state Freedom Caucus focus is going to be to use this budget leverage. Yeah, and, and most people don't know who their state rep or state senator is, but I think a lot of people know that most of the states have 
balance budget requirements. In fact, I think 49 out of the 50 states are required to balance their budgets. So people think, well, that's good. I don't need to pay attention to the state because they balance their budgets. And states can't print money like the federal government can either. So they think everything is hunky-dory. But when they get a huge tax revenue windfall because the economy is doing well, they don't return that money necessarily back to the to the taxpayers. They just spend that money. And look, they balance the budget uh, because they just spent the money they received in. But they keep growing government. And when they ex- experience um, deficits because tax revenue goes down, then they either dip into the rainy day fund, which is a sham, by the way, or they get bailed out by the federal government whenever there's some big stimulus that comes along. So the whole thing is just one big pile of corrupt garbage. And what we're trying to do, not only just fight against the budget or vote against the budget, but offer amendments, cutting this, cutting that, mm. blowing things up in committee. We try to jam them up in on procedural stuff. We try to find as many attack vectors as possible in order to either reduce the budget or if they fail to reduce the budget, scream as loud as they can to highlight the fact that Republicans and Democrats are locking arms and doing this to us. I, I, I love it. So in addition to finding the good bills and getting the good guys to introduce the good bills, light a fire under, shame the other guys for you know blocking it or not supporting it, it's really introducing those ideas as amendments to the budget because that's ultimately what matters and what goes forward. Um, when you look across the landscape, what are some of those big issues that you feel you're going to fight this year? Um, you know that you're working in multiple states. The the one that's kind of bubbling up to the top. There, there's several, of course. Um, school choice is going through all the states, which is awesome and it's fun and it's, it's something that we're going to be a part of. Um, there's going to be uh, a lot of fights on immigration that I think are going to be very worthwhile and. And we're going to succeed at. But the one that I'm particularly worried about is health freedom. Um, We obviously went through all the COVID nonsense and people think that that's past us, but it's not. There's this shady little group that nobody knows about called the Uniform Law Commission. Mm. And what they do, what they do is try to streamline bills across the states so they basically operate the same on any particular issue. And they've got several issues, but they've got a bill coming out in all 50 states called the Public Health Emergency Authority Act. And what this is going to do is give unprecedented authority to the governors to call a public emergency on anything. I mean, the loopholes in this bill are you can run a truck through. So, and you, you've already seen this kind of happen. The governor of North Carolina called a state of emergency over school choice. The governor of New Mexico called a state of emergency over gun control. Um, those things failed, but I do believe that those were test balloons to see how far they can push. And then they're going to try and pass this bill through. And then when you give the governor the ability to call a state of emergency on almost anything, you are literally giving away so many rights. And so stopping that bill um, is going to be one of our chief priorities this coming year. 
No, and, and then also, you know, not just stopping the bad, but we need to affirmatively do good. You know, a lot of red Correct. states, we still have not really fully uprooted, some states not at all, the existing powers that were utilized to do this to us. It's shocking how we could go through that and not have like a, you know, a 13th Amendment style reckoning. And one of the things I've been pushing pushing is state constitutional amendments, which are certainly easier, you know, theoretically in supermajority Republican states if they were all correct in passing out to the ballot so the people could vote on bodily autonomy, the right of a person to refuse, you know, medical procedures, devices, vaccines, treatment, and that would cover, you know, masks, vaccines, things like that, and not to be discriminated discriminated against in the realm of public accommodation. We're seeing even in red states to this day, there are people still um, being forced to get the death shots for uh, organ transplant, uh, you know, medical school, nursing school in particular, you know, or others, if it's not currently being enforced anymore, it's still on the books that it could be brought back. It hasn't been banned yet. So I, you know, I look forward to working with your guys and, you know, throughout. I think this is something, again, now that it's unpopular, we cannot allow this to. Uh, fester. We have to u- utilize the momentum, the political momentum we have. You know, we we have Dr. Latipo in Florida that's not just recommending against the shots, but saying they should be taken off the market. And I'll tell you, I mean, you know, I looked around, and I'm going to have a report on this tomorrow. Most red state health departments are downright still promoting it and recommending it on on six month old pregnant women, five year old kids. I mean, it's bad. So. My question to you, Andy, is what sort of plan do you have to create what I call a political kill zone perimeter? It's what the left has in blue states, where nothing that is not in concert with our values can flow, whether it's a statement, a policy. So you have all these departments in red states, right? You know this, health and education and many others, Department of Welfare, Child um, Protection Services type of things. They're literally leftists. And how do we get the yeah. conservative legislators to get more oversight o- over what they're doing? I'll, g- I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, they're both in the Mountain West. Um, in Idaho, um, they passed a bill successfully, which I thought was great, which would prevent the government from considering a child's vaccination status when determining if parents are unfit to have their kids, meaning that they could take their kids away from them just because they're not unvaccinated, just because they're not vaccinated. That's a small victory, but it's a great victory, but that happened in Idaho. And then in Wyoming, they have a budget session coming up. Every other year is a budget session. And so this year in Wyoming, their budget session, they can only consider the budget. And they can offer other bills, very nasty bills, um, but it has to be approved by two thirds of the legislature. Mm. I can I can say um, uh, with great um, excitement that our Wyoming Freedom Caucus and their allies have enough votes to, to create that kill zone to kill all bills in Wyoming this year that don't have to do with the budget. And so that's something that we never had before. It is only this year that we're going to be able to successfully do that. And so I'm so excited to see what's going to happen in Wyoming 
uh, because so many bad things are going to be offered and they're all going to get shot down. Talk about some of the you know positive trajectories you see in some other states. Kind of, you know, take us around the map where you see some potential where there's a, a, a new opportunities. I see you just uh, opened up a Freedom Caucus in Missouri. Um, any other states? Yeah. So as as I know you've spoken about before, Florida is sort of the gold standard, and there isn't really a close second. There are 18, 19, 20 states that are Republican-led. Some have the Republican trifecta, but they're all failing compared to Florida in passing good conservative policy. Because we don't have a governor. But, correct. But I can say that I think Louisiana can take a run at Florida mm. uh, for being first or second. And the reason why is because we have a Louisiana Freedom Caucus that has been up and running for a year now. They have grown their numbers from nine members to, I believe, 21 at my last count. Plus, they just elected uh, Jeff Landry, their AG, yes. as their new governor. And he's going to be coming in there with a big bat to swing at all of the bad stuff and to pass some great stuff. And for the first time in uh, our network, my organization's existence, we're going to have a governor and a Freedom Caucus in the legislature rowing in the same direction. And Mm. there are so many, there are so many squishy Republicans in the Louisiana legislature that they're going to have to pick a side. And when you have the Freedom Caucus and a conservative governor on one side and the Democrats on the other, it's going to put them in a really tough spot. So I'm really excited about Louisiana. I already mentioned Wyoming. Uh, but I think Missouri is also going to be um, really fun. The reason why is that Missouri state senators have more power uh, individually than I think any other state. Huh. They have the ability to, to shut down anything through filibusters. And we have six senators uh, in our Missouri Freedom Caucus. And I think we may have seven or eight very soon. And they now now that they have the cover of a Freedom Caucus and a brand and a national movement behind them, they're going to be doing some amazing work there. So I'm really excited about Missouri, Louisiana, Wyoming, and frankly, all of our states. But those are the ones that are really going to be fun. No, that's good. And I've seen some good bills introduced. What about there? There's some of these I'm seeing. I'm trying to put together the best bills on interposing against the feds, you know, creating more state independence, which is ultimately what we're going to need, whether they're these currency bills, you know, making gold and silver legal tender, just interposition bills that, you know, if the feds promulgate something that we know is unconstitutional, it cannot be enforced here. Um, Are you seeing any trend? Is that going to be part of a Freedom Caucus agenda? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you, you mentioned digital currency, CBDCs. Um, this is one of the biggest threats I think our country faces. Um, we were able to kill a lot of those last year and we'll, we'll continue to kill them, uh, this year. Uh, for your list, I know you've probably spoken to your listeners a lot about this, but CBDCs or central bank digital currencies is something that can only happen at the federal level. But states have input to them. And basically, CBDCs uh, weaponize uh, your bank accounts. The the feds will be able to see all your transactions. If you want to buy a gun, too bad. But if you want to have an abortion, well, go ahead. 
um, and they'll be able to censor those transactions. They'll be able to surveil you. It will all lead to a, a, a social credit score, basically. And the states, the ones that I operate in, have all, uh, a lot of them have already rejected that at the state level um, because this ULC, this group that this shady group that I mentioned before, the they tried to pass this bill so that all of the 50 states would bless a CBDC if the feds ever did it. So there's that. There's also a bill that's starting to come around that Kevin Freeman has uh, been pushing, which I think is really innovative and fun, which would allow people to have bank accounts backed by gold. And mm. so it would fight against inflation. And so you would put your money in a bank account. It would be uh, held as actual gold and you have a debit card against it. And so if inflation continues- Who, who supplies rate, the gold? Well, th that is a good question. There, there, this would be a private enterprise. So uh -huh. It would be uh, the the free market would. In other words, it's that. not that the state so, is you know has the resources to go in and shadow box the Federal Reserve, but you're saying that it would countenance, it would indulge, it would it would it would affirm the legal status of any private system that wants to get this up and running. Um, the state will have its back. Correct. And and th that's basically this would and th this is constitutional. I, I'm not as uh, deep in the weeds as I should be on it, but there is language uh, in the U.S. Constitution that would basically bless this that says gold is currency. And if you hold it in your bank account, then you can draw against it. And and naturally, people know that gold increases in price as inflation goes up. So you basically protect yourself against the fiat uh, dollar that the, the government continues to print. And so that's something that we're looking at. And I'm really excited about that. I mean, think of all of the low income people who are just getting ravaged by inflation and don't have access to the stock market or don't have homes, but they, they're constantly barbaraged by, you know, 20% increases in their grocery bills or their electricity bills or whatever. This would protect you against that. You know, in, in that vein, I know we've talked about this before, but I want to broach this again for the new year for our new listeners. Um, we, we have a little bit of a paradoxical relationship with legislatures. On the one hand, you know, we like the fact that we don't want a big opportunity to pass bad things, right? And you want it kind of to be limited. But on the other hand, in the era we live in with a uniparty for so many decades and so many bad policies bleeding into the red states and the dependency on the federal government and the fact that the the federal the state governments are so large now with these autonomous agencies that operate, you know, 365 days a year, they have a steady cash flow from the feds, you know, big part of why we do have a, such a big debt, people don't realize, is precisely because of the shame of the state balance budgets, like you noted. Well, yeah, they balance it off the backs of the Fed's printed money that just gives them you know, more money than they've ever gotten and makes them dependent on their culture and policies. And so, so we need a robust session and ability to build the case for things to change things because the status quo is problematic for a lot of things. You know, it's not like, oh, we have a great red state. We want to preserve it from bad things. No, I mean, we need to make certain affirmative plays. And I want to just get your comment on in general how we finesse that with the limited time to 
be in session to introduce bills. And I'll give an example for, for our listeners, and I know you're obviously working on this. Montana is one of these like every other year states, so they're not in session. Yeah. And, you know, many red states are, have, are having this problem that, okay, you have a property tax rate, fine. But then you have this whole surge of people into places like Montana and Idaho, Montana certainly being one of them, and you have so much land appreciation. So people's property tax bills are way too burdensome, and they need relief. And oh, 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 we can't do anything. We're not in session. They try to hold a vote to get into session, um, but they they voted it down, and basically like half the Republicans joined the Democrats to ensure that property taxes are high. Like, How do we get around that barrier? You you basically you you mentioned Montana and you took the words out of my mouth because I was going to bring that up. Um, these legis these state legislatures are um, almost all of them are part time. They're only in session for a couple of months, maybe five at the most. There are a few crazy ones like Pennsylvania and California that are year round, but for the most part they're they're part time. And like you said, Montana is every other year. Same with Nevada, North Dakota, and Texas. Uh, what we try to do is push for special sessions to push the issues that matter the most. And in Montana, our Montana Freedom Caucus called for a special session to cut taxes. And not just ta- cut taxes, but to introduce a taxpayer's bill of rights to say, we've got to fix this because our our money is just getting taken by the government um, by the truckload and we've got to stop it. And so we forced a vote. And the way that a special session works in Montana is that all of the members of the legislature have to vote. And you're right, they voted it down. Montana is a Republican supermajority and Republicans in Montana said, no, we don't want to cut taxes. And so when we fail at things like that, which will happen, the thing that we have to do is just get loud and noisy about it. And so our Montana Freedom Caucus is telling every voter in that state, hey, guess what? Your Republican representative probably voted to not cut your taxes and then let them deal with it and see what the the fallout is. But we've got to push that issue in all the states and and we're, we're doing that. No, that's the thing. It's special session. It's off season, you know, using their clout and their prominence and their, you know, voice to raise awareness of liberal policies that are emanating from governors and executive branch agencies. It's like a a kid in a candy store. There is an unlimited amount we can do if we wield our influence in areas where the majority of people agree with us. Um, Pick your top 10 issues. And we're going to be doing that. Um, Looking forward to working with you guys again. Where could people find out more and maybe get involved in your activism? Yeah, three things. Uh, Go to our website at statefreedomcaucus.org. We have a map on the front page. See if your state has a Freedom Caucus. If it does, please reach out to them. We list all the lawmakers that are in the Freedom Caucus on there. Reach out to one of them and be a part of it, be a supporter. If you don't see your state, then call your state rep or your state center and say, what the heck? Why is there not a Freedom Caucus? Have those lawmakers reach out to us and we'll do our best to set one up. The second thing, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Andy Roth. And then the third thing is, and you can find it on our website, sign up for our Substack so that you get updates regularly from us 
about everything that we're doing in all the states. Exactly. If, if, if red voters that constitute a majority in these states would only know what is going on or what is the potential to go on, meaning good bills that are getting blocked, uh, we could accomplish a lot more than just talking about Hunter Biden all day. And that's what we're going to do. Andy, thanks for what you do. Uh, and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for Andy, email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.